The following podcast is presented by Together Washington. Together Washington, we are seeking to build bridges across divides and tell the inspiring stories of those building the common good. If you'd like to support or get involved with Together Washington, go to togetherwashington.com. We're telling the inspiring stories of those building the common good. We've got Bruce Harrell in studio today. Bruce, longtime Seattle resident, has been an amazing uh, community leader for many, many years. Seattle City Council, he was the Seattle City Council president. He was interim mayor for five days or so and then handed off the reins to uh, uh Tim Burgess for for another 30-ish days or something like that. But he is running for mayor of Seattle. We've talked about this here on the show. Mayor Durkin is not running again. And so we've got a we got a new list of candidates. I'm really excited to have Bruce on the show and talk about his heart for the city, his vision. And Bruce, welcome. Thank you. Bruce, so good to, good to have you here on the show, and I'm really excited to just hear from you and, and have a, just a great conversation and just hear about the the candidacy and the vision for the city, and there's, I know, a lot to talk about, but maybe just maybe just share a little bit of why you're running for, for mayor. Well, thanks, and thanks for having me on the, the show. Um, you know, we've been, like you described, we've been in Seattle for a while, and I'm the eternal optimist. I, what I see is the opportunity for what I call a, a rebirth and a realignment of the city. We do know that the homelessness situation is completely out of control. We know that you don't hear elected officials really taking ownership of the issue by saying, we can and we will solve this. The buck stops with me. And, and my candidacy is about that. It's not about pointing fingers and talking about who, um, who's a bad person or who's a good person. Our candidacy is truly about solutions. And so on my website, we describe several specific ideas that are not being done now that we will do. And I could get into some detail as the show progresses. With police reform, we know that, you know, I, I made a statement about the George Floyd video. And when my wife and my family marched in protest, I said that I believe almost every officer would agree that that was inhumane. That was inhumane to kneel on another human being's neck and I wanted our officers to start with that very simple baseline understanding that that was an inhumane act and from that we can build community with community and have a reformed police department I don't share the narrative that we defund or starve them from resources in fact I take quite the opposite approach that we do not only great training but great coaching and we build from within, not from the top down or the bottom up, but we truly using internal training and, uh, and a curriculum that I call increasing human effectiveness, those types of um, teachings to make sure that we reform. With respect to business revitalization, we have all of the components now to make this a great city again that we look at what a city can be. We know the devastation of e-commerce, for example, and so I don't bash a company like Amazon, what I do is I say, how do we now realign all of our resources, our brick and mortar, our small businesses to make sure that they are vibrant once again? And and again, as an attorney working with literally hundreds of small businesses, I'm pretty adept at 
the strategies in place to do that. So I see a great opportunity here. I see a time for taking advantage of the crisis, if you will. It saddens me when I see communities so angry. And I do understand the anger of the youth. I fully get that. They, they, they think the, the, the deck is stacked, right? A person like Jeff Bezos is worth $186 billion, and yet we have thousands of people living in cars and in tents that are saying, how is this society fair, right? They see an unlawful shooting over and over again, and they're saying, how can our society in 2021 allow this? So I understand their anger, but once you get through the anger, you have to spend more time looking at the solutions. And so our candidacy is about that. And, you know, I come from a wide range of very diverse friends and supporters, and I'm going to pull them all together. And we are going to change and realign Seattle under our candidacy. Well, Bruce, it's really, I love hearing, and I think it's just powerful and fascinating because when you think about the division that we've seen over the last number of years, you know, in our, in our city and, you know, what is the, you know, the question is what is the way forward? Cause we can certainly talk all day about the things that are, um, you know, wrong, the things that are going bad and, and we need to look at history and we need to look at how we can reframe things. But ultimately we, my belief is that we have to look at ways of, you know, bringing people together and finding those common ground solutions. Cause right now it feels like there's just that divisiveness isn't going to help us move forward. So how do we, how do we really find common ground solutions? So I'm going to use a Pete Carroll analogy and I'm sure my consultants are sweating if they're listening to this. I think they are. <laughs> <laughs> that one of the reasons why I like his philosophy is that he's made it crystal clear that he looks at the gifts and the strengths of his players and he meets them where they are and he develops and nurtures those strengths to optimize their performance. And I've talked to people that have advised Pete Carroll and many of the players about how that resonates with them. They come from diverse backgrounds and they all have gifts to get to play at that level. And he's a player's coach, as people know. Now, I use that analogy to say that in Seattle, with 600, 700,000 people, and I'm going to talk about homelessness for the, for the moment, people want to help. They really want to house the unsheltered, the unhoused, but they don't know their entry point. Many large and small and medium-sized businesses want to help, and they're not sure what to do. So under our platform, we'll make the entry point for everyone Number one, transparent. So you'll be able to push a tile on the website to see exactly what we're doing, how we are raising money. People have an opportunity to give, not only financially, but clothing and food and resource uh, resume development as an example. So we're going to be very, very transparent. When we house people, then we lead with housing. You know, the housing first strategies were incorporated under my tenure at the council, that when you are approaching someone, you ask, you, you, you offer them housing first. That I want the public to see how we do that because I believe that many of these people who have backgrounds in social work and very kind people, that they want people housed. And so we're going to open it up such that the city could see, uh, let me put it this way, our parents and children can see everyone working collectively to solve the problem, number one. Number two, structurally, I'm also uh, changing the budget structure such that each of the seven council members can have 
I'm saying $10 million at this point because my research would suggest that that's an appropriate amount, to actually do a deep dive in their communities to see what needs are – what needs are there and work with community members. And it could be the preservation of a a cultural building. It could could be cleaning up trash and debris. It could be uh, help solve the housing problem. So we're going to work on a very granular approach to solving the issue. And and thirdly, this is a regional problem, and we started talking about this years ago that it's just not a Seattle problem. And so I'm going to strongly developed the relationships with, with partners in our region using a regional approach. We only have 88 square miles in Seattle, and so it's hard enough making sure food service workers and baristas and students can live here. So when we put that kind of pressure onto the city, we need to work collaboratively with our regional partners as well. So we have a clear strategy, and I think I shared with you my wife, who was once the president of United Way, and she and I, we know how to raise funds and raise awareness. And so in our efforts, Tim, to raise awareness and raise funds, we will build the right housing, get people housed. And we all know the face of the homeless person is, is different, that some people are a medical bill away into, um, into homelessness. Some people have drug and alcohol problems. Some people have mental illness problems. And so using our strategies of upstream services, many people are housing insecure, and so we still have to invest in people to prevent the eviction. All of those strategies will come together in addition to us building um, homes for the the homeless, and we will be able to solve this problem. And I, quite candidly, I was born here. I would not look people in the eye and say it was their fault, it was the council's fault. I don't operate that way. I never have in my life. And so I will take ownership of the issue. And I look forward to it if the voters so choose me to be their next mayor. We're talking to Bruce Harrell, candidate for mayor of Seattle, former Seattle City Council president and interim mayor. What What are your thoughts on the regional um, homelessness authority that's getting kind of rolled out? They just hired their first director. Yes, um, I have met the director several times. He actually presented to the council when I was the president several times. Very smart. Uh, very committed to the solutions, and I look forward to working with him. Uh, again, the regional approach only makes sense because, you know, the borders of Seattle and Renton and unincorporated King County, I will guarantee you most people can't point at those borders. And so we have ho- the homelessness problem all around us, and so I think that makes sense. And again, Seattle should not be the only city in this state to take on all of the homelessness problems as well. So I'm excited about the regional approach. But again, you have to be very intentional about developing these relationships. And so one of the other parts of my platform is typically when the Washington State Legislative Session is is working during the first few months of the year, during the off-season, if you will, during the summer and during later in the fall, there's not as much activity with the relationships, dealing with our counterparts in Spokane or Walla Walla or Ording, Washington, as an example. We're going to work on those relationships 12 months a year because we want everyone to realize that we are Washington State. And, and you're going to see new energy on our legislative agenda and those relationships. At the end of the day, it's all about relationships, I think. Yeah. And we, you and I talked a l- little bit about this. I'm, I've been blessed to develop incredible relationship capital in this city. And again, I believe that most people really want to help and they don't know the entry point. And that's why I'm going to develop the entry point. We will not, we will completely eradicate this concept that Seattle is dying. 
Seattle will be thriving. Mm-hmm. And everywhere we go, we will say Seattle is thriving. You claim the reality you want to see and you want to be. You claim it. And so under our leadership, everyone will say Seattle is thriving. And they will see it and they will feel it and they will believe it. We've got Bruce Harrell today. Bruce is the former Seattle City Council president and candidate for mayor of Seattle. And it's coming. I mean, this is it's a it's going to be a this is a good race. And Bruce, I'm so glad you're in the race. And we're hearing vision, heart. And I mean, we've been talking about what's going on with homelessness, um, police. You know, one of the things you mentioned that I think is is so true is when you look at you look at some of the divisions, right? And some of the ways that we just can't come together. And this is why I think we need someone who can help bridge gaps. We need someone who can who can bridge people together because really when you step back, the 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 high majority of us as Seattle citizens, we all desire the same things, right? We want we we want people to be taken care of, right? We don't want people living and sleeping in those conditions. We want people to get services and treatment and we we care about people, right? We want everyone to be respected and taken care of and shown dignity, but yet we can't find ways to come together to do that, right? Even though we all desire the same things. What what how do we do that? It's very powerful Tim, when you assume positive intent. And so when I'm working with a person on policy solutions and implementation, I just assume that they're working positively. They're trying to create the same outcome that I want, which is in the homelessness situation, the person housed. Not only housed, by the way. That's that's a low bar. Housed, a sustainable life, a productive life, what I call human effectiveness, being an effective human being. Now, we have to be sober about the fact that some people may be chronically homeless. They may have such deep-seated issues, whether it's rooted in mental illness or other types of behavioral issues, that for those people, yes, we want them housed and we want them loved in a certain way. There are so many. The face of homelessness now has changed so much that there are many people that they're just a resume away from self-fulfillment. They're just some technological skills away, right? The beauty of Seattle is we are what? We are a port, maritime, industrial city. We are high-tech. We are manufacturing. We have it all here. We have mountains. We have water. We have art. We have music. So I believe in gift-based learning. So our answer in our educational system, in our homelessness system, in our ecosystem of that exists in Seattle is to find everyone's gifts, to assume positive intent. Some of the work that I did with uh, Councilmember Burgess when he was on the council, when we looked at brain development between zero and four, and we traveled around the country and saw what other cities were doing for kids that are getting off to a, some not such a good start and some to a phenomenal start and realized how rapidly the brain develops for zero to four. And we realized, well, geez, a lot of these kids, by the time they're six, seven, eight, they're already paying catch-up ball. So again, the policies in front of us that we can can implement, it starts with early brain development, it starts with finding everyone's gifts, and as adults, assuming positive intent. So in my campaign, you don't hear me denigrating 
You know, there are 16 people running for mayor, right? So there's 15 people in me. And I wish them all well and good health and good fortune. Don't get me wrong. So I don't denigrate them because I assume what? I assume that they're all trying to improve the conditions mm, in Seattle. Yeah, right. But that's what it's going to take, that kind of skill set in Seattle. And, you know, I have scars, battle scars, to prove that it's tough sometimes, right? It's tough. I mean, when you grow up in the in Seattle and, you know, I went to Garfield High School and – Go Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs. Um there are times where you have to put your dukes up and <laughs> defend for yourself. And, and the word love sometimes is not exactly the first thing you shout when you are. But at the end of the day, you develop those relationships. And there are people that I've had contentious relationships that are some of my best friends now. So we're going to change the narrative. John. I'm telling you, I live this philosophy every single day of my life. And that's why I, I, I someone said, well, why do you seem to not take certain things seriously? And I said, I take everything seriously. But when you've held someone's hand why they've transitioned. When you've been to an oncology unit for friends and family, you realize that if you could make someone smile and laugh, that gives them hope. And if you can give them hope, you have opportunity. And so our campaign is about giving people hope and opportunity. And we can do this. I'm going to bring a lot of people in City Hall that probably have never been there because, again, there's a lot of bench strength out there, and they're going to help us. I can't do this alone. I certainly can't do this alone. So I'm looking at having a cadre of really good people help me create the Seattle that we can become. Well, I think that's always been a, a telltale sign of, of really outstanding leaders in our city and country with those who are willing to say, hey, exactly what you said. Hey, this, isn't a, this is about bringing in the right people as well to, to serve our city. John Scholes, CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association, he talked about Compassion Seattle We've talked about that a couple times here on the show. It's a charter amendment looking to get about 33,000 signatures for the ballot for November, which would then, you know, become a, um, you know, a, a new a charter amendment for the city that would, you know, mandate that um, people get housing services, they get treatment and parks are cleared and things like that. What, what, what are your thoughts on Compassion Seattle? I support it. And I know there have been recent negotiations because some housing providers had some concerns that um, they expressed. And, and let me tell you why I support it. Number one, it does require that I think within the first six months there will be a thousand um, units built, and I think within the first twelve months another thousand units built. And it creates in the department, uh, human services department, a charter department. And as in as much as it also requires. I think 12% of its budget to be spent toward HSD. I, as mayor, can work within those parameters because I still think it affords enough flexibility for me to work with communities and housing groups to, um, to defeat the homelessness problem. So I support it. And what I don't support, and I'll make it crystal clear, is the status quo. And so a lot of people will are so quick to criticize everything we're doing now, but every time something new is, is attempted, they say, well, it's not that solution. So I'm very solution-oriented, and I, I've talked to too many people in, uh, about this to understand that we are. Tr it's a still a compassionate approach to housing because it leads with housing first. If it didn't lead with housing first, offering someone housing and making sure they're housed, then I would certainly have more, I'd be a little more reticent. But again, I assume positive intent on the people putting that together. I'm not personally involved in it. I'm aware of the fine people that are putting it together. 
and they negotiated with housing providers. It wasn't as though they did it in a vacuum. So I'm excited about it getting on the ballot, and at the end of the day, let the voters decide, right? Right. Let the voters decide, and I know that the voters are not happy with the status quo. And you've got Plymouth Housing, who's supporting it, Chief Seattle Club, uh, DESC, um, who else? I mean, there's a, uh, there's a handful of, of some of the more you know, reputable social service providers that are uh, behind this, supporting this behind it. Yes, and I know that um, John and others worked hard to make sure people were under the tent. And, you know, I've been uh, with my wife about three decades, and we, we suffice to say we don't agree on everything. So, <laughs> so, so when you're working with groups with positive intent, I don't expect anyone to agree on everything. But you do the best you could, and you find that common ground, and you move forward. Now, I'm probably going to be in trouble when I get home tonight, but but we agree on most things. Um, <laughs> but the point being, as they say, reasonable minds can differ, and so you focus in on those things that you, you can do together. And I, I'm confident that the, the measure will pass, and I think is headed in the right direction. We are having a fantastic show with Bruce Harrell, candidate for mayor of Seattle, former Seattle City Council president, interim mayor, and longtime Seattle resident. And and Bruce, that's one of the things I would love to just you know ask you and talk to you about. You know, one of the things here in the show is is really diving below the surface a little bit when it comes to what you know you've had experiences, you've had things in your life that have formed you that have influenced you you've had people right you've had people that have inspired you influenced you and and one of the things i just love doing is just being able to kind of go behind the scenes a little bit and to see the you know the you know yeah we can hear about the you know your your views and your platform but let's hear about bruce you know what what how did bruce become bruce right and uh, maybe take us back a little bit. You know, you're 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 as we look out the window. I mean, we can I mean, you're a stone's throw from where you grew up here. I am. I was born on Capitol Hill at Cabrini Hospital. And my mother um, is was a Japanese American who was born here. But her mother and father and all her siblings were born in Japan, Kumamoto, Japan. And so she had come here. Um, she was born here, but she was interned as the Japanese were during World War Two. And. Uh, she graduated from Garfield High School in 1953. Um, I'm sorry, 1951, where she met my father, who was African American, who had come here from Louisiana with his uh, father and mother and his two brothers. Both of his two brothers were educated at the University of Washington back in the 40s and in uh, primarily in the 40s. This was pretty groundbreaking for African Americans to graduate with not only college degrees but graduate degrees back then. But the Harold side of my family were pretty industrious and pretty hardworking. So my parents met in 1950. They graduated from Garfield in 1951 and they were married in 1953. So I had a, a black father and a Japanese mother, and they they um, they stuck it out the entire life. I've lost them in the last couple of years, both uh, close to each other, and I miss them dearly. But they were. I didn't realize I was biracial, by the way, at a young age. I didn't even know they were of different a different race. They looked sort of different to me, but it didn't really make sense. They're just mom and dad until I became a young teenager and realized what race was all about, which sort of made me look at 
race coming out of Garfield High School and, and at the University of Washington, and I played football for the University of Washington. And it made me look at race, I think, different than most. You know, everyone, the discussion is very polarizing. You know, black people here and white people here and Asian here and people of mixed heritage sometimes are trying to figure out, well, what side do I take in this race debate? Which then allowed me, it was a, it was a tremendous gift because I truly looked at the, the soul and the heart of a person, their, their intention, and had friends. Uh, it was a classic situation in college. I lived with one African-American and one white guy, and we lived together for eight years. And, um, and there I was, you know, there, both, those are my two best friends. And I think it allowed me to be a better human being. And so, again, I went to law school, and in my career, pretty much, um, I, I love technology and telecommunications. And so my wife and I both work for the, the phone company. And, and she went to the University of Washington as well, and she was pursuing a business degree while I went to law school. Um, right around the same time, little little overlap there. Let's go back, Bruce, real quick. But so you played. Let's go back to the football. I, I like sports, so let me just. So you, what years were you at so, UW? So, so my last year was eighty. So 80. I, I was I played in the I, I led the Rose Bowl seventy eight seventy Rose Bowl in tackles. Yeah. I was very proud of that because I was a sophomore and I started and I had one of the best games we had and. Were you a linebacker? Like linebacker with yeah. Michael Jackson and Nesby Glasgow and Warren Moon. Oh, my really, goodness. Really yeah. good teams. Rohrbach? So Michael Rohrbach was n- right next to me. I was <laughs> I was number 55. He was number 54. Yeah. And I joined a group with him that uh, was a very prayerful group. He was an uh, inspiration to me. And I lived in the dorms with his wife now of 30-some-odd years, Karen. And so dear friends of mine. Um, Michael Jackson could hit a little bit. Michael Jackson could hit a little bit. He and I, uh, I saw him at the last bowl game for the University of Washington that was held at the Rose Bowl, and we did some things together. But we had some phenomenal teams. Doug Martin was really the uh, – he was an all-pro guy. my best friend. And we went fishing uh, uh, a few days ago, night fishing. I shouldn't tell people where we fish. And, and the friendships that I've had with people like Doug, who, will, who would attest – Doug's very active in my campaigns, Doug Martin – Basically, the same person in college um, that is loves to laugh and enjoy life, but really tries to get the best out of others and myself in the process, right? And so, um, so I've been very blessed to have friends like that, lifelong friends, and they all step up in my um, when I run for races. I was very proud to get Coach James's endorsement and Jim Lambright's endorsement, and all of the, all of them have transitioned now. But it was yeah. a, a, I had some tremendous friends in those. Those folks, um, Spider Gaines. Did you play a Spider? I played with Spider, who I I saw about a year ago, and I talk to him every now and then. Who is living a much better life now? He's um, drug free. He, he openly talks about some problems he had uh, decades ago, and so he's doing really good work with a nonprofit. And it's just amazing to see um, Nesby Glasgow. We talked about he unfortunately he transitioned, but he was actually in my wedding. Uh, many years ago, and was a dear friend. So you know those friendships last a lifetime, and I just think that again, it feels good to have friends like that to have a lifetime. You're lucky if you have a, a handful of friends, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been fortunate to have a, a little more than a handful of friends that have supported me in my different political endeavors. Love that. I love that. So then you went to law school, and you're talking about uh, how you transitioned out of law school, and then what came after that so after law school i worked for uh u.s west which is now century link and that's where my wife worked as well and then um years after that i 
started a firm with many friends. They were just friends from different law firms, and we did that for around 10 years. And then I ran, decided to run for office in 2007. And that was a field of five candidates, and I, the, the, I won that one. And then I served on the council for, for 12 years. And I was very proud that on two terms my colleagues elected me as council president. It wasn't so much because, oh, look at me, I deserve to be president. But I think I hope that they would all attest to the fact that my leadership is such that I, I don't need the credit. I mean, I wasn't the person that said, hey, let's do this, and I want, it, I want, I want to look so good because this is under me that I would spend time with my colleagues and say, what are you working on and how can, how can we allow you to champion this, right? To me, that's more effective leadership because this city's been so good to me and my family that I don't have an ax to grind with anyone. So the question becomes, how can I find the brilliance and the passion in you and bring it to fruition? That's how we're going to change what's happening out here. Yeah. And people like Doug Martin again. I have a person, Daryl Powell. Daryl Powell has known me since kindergarten. He's at Harvard MBA. He's a chief financial officer of a major nonprofit here. He was my quarterback in high school. And people will talk about the game of the millennium was Garfield versus Blanchett in 2000. At the year 2000, when the world was supposed to end, we started talking <laughs> about what everything was of the millennium. And the, gar- and the high school game of the millennium was Garfield versus Blanchett a four-overtime game in which we lost to Joe Steele and Ken Gardner and Trip Brumberger and all the Blanchett boys. And literally last weekend, someone reminded me of that when we were campaigning at a Safeway near in Ballard. That I remember watching that game, and I'm thinking, well, that was a painful loss for you to remember. But Daryl Powell, again, who's very active in my campaign, um, I've had friends like that have last, lasted a lifetime, and that feels really uh, – it's really validating. That's beautiful. We're talking to Bruce Harrell. He is a candidate for mayor of Seattle, former Seattle City Council president, and interim mayor. And those were those were five really good days Those were, that you were mayor. What was that like to be interim mayor for, for those four or five days? Well, you know, to contradict everything I just said, not to toot my own horn, but those were probably the best five days in our history. <laughs> <laughs> It was actually, you know, I could joke about it now, but I have to tell you that was, for me at least, and for many people as well, some of the most tense and intense period that was going on in the city. We had, I literally looked at the history books to know when a mayor had resigned. And, you know, it caught me completely unexpected. So I had five days to make a decision as to what I was going to do. And the city, and at the same time, Amazon was looking for a second location, and so we were it had a contentious relationship with Amazon because of a lot of the impacts they've had on Seattle. We had police reform issues even then that we were contending with. There was garbage and debris, much like the levels you see now. And so there was that was a time where people wanted and were starving for leadership, and I had so many people saying, "Please stay in the job." And I looked around and I said, I didn't know how effective I could be in just a few months. And Tim Burgess, who finished out the term, uh, did an outstanding job. He'd kill me if I didn't say that, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw him that bone. Um, but in all He's serious- probably at home cooking paella right now. <laughs> so in all seriousness, it was uh, very tense, but I, I did enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed the validation people have said, well, I feel very happy that you're in the, the, the seat right now. And now, hopefully, it'll be longer than five days. 
but it was pretty tense time, and people forget forget how how tense it was back then. Yeah. Did you sign the desk? I did sign the desk. Yeah. Because I was officially sworn in, and I yeah. would go in history as as the one of the mayors. Um, so I did enjoy that. That's great. Yeah. Talking to Bruce Harrell, candidate for mayor of Seattle. What is what is candidating in this year like? I mean, obviously it's different, but what and as things kind of start to open up. I mean, how are you going about it? And are there going to be kind of candidate forums that you typically find, or are those going to be online? Or what, what do you what do you what's happening? You know, they're all virtual right now, and and depending on what the governor decides, they're all virtual. And so we're Zoom meetings, and I I talk to groups of people. So I tell folks if you have you know five or fifty people that want to have a Zoom discussion, then just contact us, and we do that. It's been actually very effective because. Um, I could talk to more people in a shorter period of time, and it's safe. I'm doing it from my home. It is weird, though, because uh, this is actually my fifth campaign, and I'm used to going to crowded rooms and you know, shaking hands now. Right, and that's where you get – I'm sure for someone like you, that's where you get your energy, right? I I mean, you kind of feed off that. I do. I really do. And so, but you know, you do the best you could right now. And, and I'm still confident that we will get our message out to people and develop the relationships. Again, on weekends, we mask up and we social distance and we greet people and we, we have a little booth. We say, ask Bruce. And, and so I have my ear pretty close to the ground on what people want in the city. And you articulated it quite well. People are tired of the finger pointing. They're, they they're, they feel despair, but they want to feel hope, and they want to know what they can do, and they want a leader that's proven that is just not a typical double-talk politician, um, as my kids would say, real talk. And it feels good because that's the only way I know how to act. I, I don't know how to act anything other than being authentic. And, and I get hammered sometimes. You know, I mean, the, the press often has a field day with me because I will just – become unfiltered on occasion and okay well i say i give myself permission to make 10 mistakes a day and if i use those 10 then i re-up and say i give my permission 15 on that particular day because i'm going to make mistakes Mm -hmm. but i will not make mistakes um because i didn't try and i didn't do my homework and i didn't find the data and i didn't and i think i have the right values i think the smartest the best most effective politicians are those who are value driven so when you ask me how i feel about something i don't have to do a ton of research on certain issues if you give me the facts i'll say this is unresearched i do not have data to support it but this is what my heart tells me and i trust my heart and if my heart led me wrong and i and i said the wrong thing then i'd say then forgive me because i will I will do better next time. And I think, again, Seattle is ready for that kind of candor. And quite frankly, it's it's somewhat new. And when I was on the council, I was one-ninth of a team. One-ninth of a team. And there were many members that are perhaps were more vocal. And in, the, in my household, and in, I don't know how much you know about the uh, Japanese culture, but in the Japanese culture, as an example... You never pour your own glass of water first. You always pour your guests first. One of the things you don't do is brag about yourself and your own accomplishments. 
And my mother raised us in a very similar fashion. So when my, I became an elected official, it became hard for me to talk about all the great things that I think I was doing because it was contrary to how, how I was taught to be effective. Mm. I've since learned that you have to do some of that because otherwise people will discount you and marginalize you. So you have to lead with, but I did this. But that's a struggle, and I tell people of all backgrounds to look at your cultural uh, upbringing to find out what's what where your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and what it takes to be electable. Because you could be, you could have mixed messages on your own culture, and you love and celebrate your culture, but it could be certain things that are inhibiting you from conveying your message the right way. And I found that uh, to be the case often. Well, I love the approach because I think that, and I've said this numerous times here, it's that I don't, I'm, I don't expect that I'm going to agree with, you know, leaders and politicians and, you know, in, on, you know, a variety of things, right? No one is right. Everyone's going to, at some level, we're all going to kind of like look at things a little bit differently. Right. But the issue is, are we willing to just be, um, just be honest and principled with what we do believe and, Let's just when we're not right, let's just say it when we maybe are off a little bit. Let's say it when, um, you know, let's let's I'm I'm good with and I want us to be a people that we we can hold on to convictions and values that are different than someone else and still be in friendship relationship with one another. And for some reason. Our society, we have a hard time with that. Right. And and so I appreciate the fact that. You know, because I think and you mentioned this at the very top of the show around, you know, with with the houselessness and what's happening there. If I don't know, I I would just feel a lot better if if folks say, hey, you know what, what we're doing, we're not really not doing it right. You know, we're trying, but we're not maybe getting it right. Maybe we got to kind of, you know, deviate a little bit here. I could agree more. It's okay to. Sort of show your soft underbelly of a city and say we are we are inadequate. We're doing this inadequately, but this is what we're trying to do. Again, you have to take ownership of the issue. There are a lot of really great policies we have in the city, but the outcomes that are we're trying to create just aren't there, and people are again they're frustrated, and they're even more frustrated when no one seems to take ownership of it and say. And to say, you know, we we're, we're failed. I asked this. I was asked this question all the time. Well, were you on the council? You know, a lot of these problems were 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 created or were caused when you're on the council. And I would be quick to say, perhaps they were, but you have to be a political scientist to some extent and look at the the issue of income inequality in the last thirty years. Look at what's happened to a, a wealthy city like Seattle, where you have such power drivers as. Microsoft and, and Starbucks and Amazon and Tableau and Expedia, we could go down the list of large companies and realize that there is a subclass of both wealth and a subclass of new poverty. That when I was young, there were poor people, but the poor people could still live in the neighborhood. My mother and father, their demographic, my father was a construction lineman who eventually became in a management of City Light, but he was an apprentice lineman for City Light. My mother worked at the Fax newspaper and then eventually had a career at the Seattle Public Library. But that demographic, when they were young, I looked at my birth certificate and saw what they were doing. They lived in the Central District. They said apprentice lineman on my, on my birth certificate for my father. They, that, they couldn't live in the city right now. So we have to realize that 
what we see here are a result of many years of um, of if inadequate treatment for the mentally ill, for example, for mental illness, we have underfunded mental illness for so many decades that you see now the results of it in the streets and in the tents for those who are afflicted with mental illness. And so these problems were not caused in the last five or 10 years. They were a long time in the making. There are solutions. There are real solutions, but I think we just have to be honest about it. Yeah. To be honest about it. Absolutely. We've got Bruce Harrell. He is candidate for mayor of Seattle, former Seattle City Council president, interim mayor, and hearing just his story about growing up here in the Seattle area, University of Washington, playing football for Coach James, Coach Lambeau. Lambeau. May he rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Both Coach James and Lambeau. Um, Hearing about his vision heart for the city and you know one of the big questions i'd like to ask you bruce and this is this this might be the biggest question yet um our listeners are probably just they this is this is kind of the game changer are you going to get the sonics back yes see i can i'll elaborate that's a yes (laughs) or no question Come on, like so. You had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> it, we, so for me, it's. <laughs> I, this is from some movie that I. It's not business; it's personal, right? We're <laughs> supposed to be the opposite; it's personal. But in all seriousness, that one of the hands I think we're dealt with the COVID pandemic is that we know we have a great market, and we know that the NBA will be looking at expansion teams, right? And I just think that, again, and and I don't want to put the cart before the horse because we have a lot invested in climate change arena, a.k.a. key arena, whatever you want to call it. We'll call it climate change arena. But the other area is still in play, and and I talk to a lot of people around the Soto area that still thinks that there's possibilities there. Regardless as to where the physical structure is, is that now would be the best time to make sure the NBA knows we are set. We have all of the we have the fan base here. We have everything you can ask for to have a successful franchise. And because the revenues were down, if you look at the revenues of the NBA and you look at how they expanded to different markets, we are poised perfectly. So I think what the mayor has to do, the mayor has to staff it correctly, have someone own the issue in the mayor's cabinet and get on a plane and start the negotiations and then get the right civic business philanthropic leaders and community leaders together to make sure that we're speaking with one voice. I think it's achievable and I think uh, it's, we have to be extremely intentional about it. And you're talking to a person, again, that grew up with the Sonics here and um, and I miss them. Don't you think it's incredible that here we are, you know, 13 years later, and it, it's still, I mean, it's a conversation, right? I mean, you go down to like a Simply Seattle store down here in downtown, and there's, I mean, their they're number one selling um, stuff is Sonics gear. Like, what, what, yeah. what is, what in the world with that? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a special symbol of a great city, not that there are, I'm not saying that all cities need an NBA team, but to have one and to lose one is is a tough 
pill to swallow. Yeah. And in all due respect to the storm and the Sounders and the Kraken and all, and the Mariners and what well, Seahawks. I mean, we have some great teams here. We're but we are sports enthusiasts here. It it when we went to the Super Bowl parade, I've never seen anything like that in my life, and it was god awful cold that morning. <laughs> but it was an incredible uplift for the city, right? And so I just think that again, we have all the components. We have all of the components to have a team here, and I just think again, a new mayor should prioritize that. Um, now there will be some that says, "Well, wait a minute, you're talking about bouncing a ball when you have the homelessness issue and police reform." One does not exclude the other, and that's why I said in our leadership we will have many people working on many important things. I, I'm sure in 1962 when they had the World's Fair here, someone said, you know, I got an idea, and everyone looked at this person and said, I want to build a huge space needle. And they laughed him out and said, a what? A space needle? What does that look like? And he sold or she sold, and the group sold the idea of a space needle that sits there now. I want space needle thinking, right? So as we reform the police department, as we solve the homelessness we should look very seriously at the NBA team because this is a sort of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity given the hand we're dealt after the pandemic and because the numbers, the economics of the NBA were so bad last year. Well, you got you had just gotten elected um, for city council when when that was kind of kind of steaming ahead here um, back in two thousand seven, and you know. If, uh, when I see uh, you know Mayor Nick, you know, I, I run into Mayor Nichols um, often. Actually, before this past year, because he I will see him at Sounders matches. He's always there, sitting in the same seat, and mm-hmm. I feel like there's just like a there's always just like this sad look in his eyes. You know, like he, like he he's like, man, if I could go back in time and maybe cha- what if you could go back in time, what 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 do you think would have either he or you maybe had done differently? You know, that's a great question because there was a press conference to announce that that was occurring, this sale was occurring, and I did not attend that press conference because I was not a happy capper. But it was a, you know, it's a pri- it was a private organization being sold by a, uh, by a private party. But to answer your question directly, since then, how politics has changed, it, they've, it's dramatically changed change between marches and protests and social media and mass gatherings. So to answer your question directly, perhaps I could have been a person to get thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people to unify and to talk about another strategy and to bring that to the attention of the private owners of the team. Um, it's it's hindsight. It's 2020. Um, but there wasn't that kind of mass protest from all over this region when that occurred. There weren't that kind of protesting on a lot of things now. But you see again, unfortunately, in you know it's it's a it's a bad part of our history in in our country where you see these unlawful shootings and you see protests, um, justified protests all over the country. I don't condone violence or anarchy or bricks through glass and that kind of stuff. Not at all, but I do condone and support peaceful protests. So when you have thousands of people peacefully protesting, perhaps we could have done something like that um, when when we were losing the NBA team. But I can't undo that. But what I can do is make sure we have the 
intentionality of getting a team back. And, and quite candidly, this is coming up time and time and time again during the campaign trail. So I'm excited about trying to lead that effort. Yeah, that's great. we got Bruce Harrell. We've been having a great time. He is candidate for mayor of Seattle. He is former Seattle City Council president, interim mayor, and uh, just really hearing his vision for the city. And Bruce, as we got, you know, just a few minutes left, I'd love to, you know, one of the things we talked a little bit about was just, you know, police reform and, you know, Chief Best, who, um, you know, resigned or slash retired. Um, I guess she didn't retire because she's, you know, she's doing her um, media jobs that she's doing. But I'm just curious, you're, you're, that, that was a, I mean, that was a national story, right? When, when she uh, resigned and, uh, and that was all over uh, the news. And I'm just curious, just kind of overall your, your thoughts around that. Well, I thought how she was treated was unconscionable. I think that she is a, an outstanding leader and that she deserves the benefit of the doubt, that she was dealt a very tough hand, that our Seattle Police Department is a huge department with big city issues. But I don't think anyone can question her ability to lead an organization, a police department. So she, I thought, was a tremendous loss. I, you know, I speak with her uh, frequently because she's a friend, and, and perhaps I'm somewhat biased because of the friendship but she was someone I would turn to for advice on occasion, and she would turn to me for advice on occasion. Reforming the police department, if it were easy, it would be done through many major departments throughout the country. And and I took some hits because I said during our kickoff that I wanted our officers to voluntarily watch the George Floyd's 8 Men and 46 video to understand, to see what we saw and to sign a voluntary pledge to say that that kind of inhumane treatment would not happen here in Seattle. And people are saying, well, so that's your answer to reform? No, my answer to reform is to see if from one human being to another, can we have a baseline understanding on what what's inhumane? Because if we can't, I can't train that person. I can't put a system in place by which I'm asking that person to de-escalate, to be a master of de-escalation. I can't, I, I can't, get beyond that. That's just a baseline understanding. So that person in, in, under my leadership is not meant to protect and serve on the department. I am confident that most officers, if not all of them, would agree that was inhumane. And there are many examples I could take that have happened in this country where I could say, can we agree that that was not good policing? We will change the culture in the police department because I have too many friends that work with the police that are in the police, both top medium, rank and file, that will evangelize, be the, inter the internal change agent to talk about what behavior is acceptable, what behavior is expected. We will recruit differently. We will train differently. And so the culture chain is very intentional. And you break the code of silence. You see that happening in Minneapolis. You see a chief and other rank and file people saying that went against training. That was wrong. Okay, and so we're, you're going to see that kind of passion such that all of us can be proud of our police department. And that's what I want us to be. I want us to be proud of our police department. That's why I don't subscribe to the narrative that we need to defund them to make them better. In my organizational um, training, 
I've never read that you starve a department or group of resources for them to be more effective. Certainly we could be lean. Government can be lean. I would, I, I would agree with that. We need to reallocate sources. We need mental health providers in moments of crisis. Yes, we need to examine who should carry a badge and gun and whether you need that skill set on in certain circumstances. Yes, all of that. But at the end of the day, we have to change the culture, and that's what you're going to hear from me, and you're going to see that should I be elected. I love that. You know, speaking of, you know, just solid leadership and, you know, following principles, you know, one of the one of the best leaders in the city, I think, um, and I'm, I'm a little biased here, but I think he's a, you know, a unsung hero, been doing a long time, Deputy Superintendent of Parks, Christopher Williams. Do you know Christopher? I know him well. Yeah. And uh, I'm a little upset with him because he's promised to take me fishing, and he's <laughs> bragging always with this, these fish that he catches on his vacations, and I haven't caught any with him but he's a good man i've got a few with him oh see now i'm really upset <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna send him this i'm gonna send him this link have him listen but <laughs> yeah no he's a good man and um and again people are passionate about their parks here in seattle we did a little clip by saying you know our parks are are our unique experience in seattle we have a great park system and we need to preserve it and and we will. We will. And But I want to thank Chris for his years of service uh, for the Parks Department. Got just a couple minutes left with Bruce, who is running for mayor of Seattle. And he is the former Seattle City Council president. And it is, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a good battle, huh? I mean, you, you feel confident? You feel good? I feel excellent. I, you know, I feel excellent. From what I'm talking by talking to everyone, yeah, it feels really, really good, and um, and I wish everyone well, right? I think at the end of the day, people will see me for who I am and our message, and it feels really good. Yeah, that's good. I, I just want change dramatically in this city. I want the whole narrative change. I want to be able to to see the change, right? Not just feel it, but to see it, to feel it, to know it. And I think we can accomplish that when we pull out when we get out of this COVID situation. Yeah. If folks listening, if they were like, Man, I really love which I'm sure there are, who said, Ah, oh, man, I love his vision and they wanted to help out. They wanted to, you know, contribute, volunteer. How how could they do that? Bruce four F O R Seattle dot com. Bruce four Seattle dot com and you'll see people from almost every walk of life joining our campaign and we we are we have so much fun and that's where we'd direct them to. Yeah. Bruce, last question uh, I like to ask our guests here on the show is, and it's a deep question, but it's a, I, I enjoy hearing um, how people, um, how they talk through it. But ha, tell, tell us, how do you want to be remembered? I, I'd like to be remembered uh, as someone that um, had the human touch that made me smile, made me laugh, and, and, and gave me hope. Um, again, I've done a few things, but I, I say I'm nothing special in that sense that I'm a result of a mother and father and, and who prayed heavily and, and invested a lot of love in me. And it's my obligation to spread that. And so I want to be remembered as a person and said, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm flawed too, but he helped me. 
um, brought the best out in me. That that that's to me the best thing I could ask for. And my kids, who I've brainwashed that they are successful and they are good and they are kind. We should tell our daughter, who's the youngest of our three, how beautiful she was. You know, mm. you're beautiful. And of course, she believes she's beautiful. And inside and out, just not mm. physically. You're 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 a good person. You're a kind person. And they live that. And so I want to be remembered as a person that truly inspired people to be better, no matter where they are in life. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love that. And that what you just said just kind of reminds me of what I tell my four daughters. You know, it's I love you not because of what you do, but because of who you are. Yeah. And uh, that's I, I love hearing that, uh, Bruce. So thank you so much for being with us on the show today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on and love hearing just the the heart and vision for the city. I know it's going to resonate with quite a few folks. Thank you for having me, Tim. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. 